0: This week, the journey to discover how Lucy, the world-famous fossil hominin, died.
2: By identifying with her death, she became alive for me.
1: And breaking up the toxic protein plaques associated with Alzheimer's disease.
3: We reduce the amyloid plaques in the brain of humans with Alzheimer's disease to a very significant degree.
0: This is The Nature Podcast for September the 1st, 2016. I'm Kerry Smith.
3: And I'm Adam Levy.
0: We have a slightly abbreviated show for you this week as we squeeze the last drops out of the summer here in London. We've prepared two segments of freshly cut science and a sprinkling of research highlights to tide you over until next week. Let's jump straight in. Here's Adam with a story of a famous fossil and an ancient accident.
1: Lucy might well be the world's most famous fossil. This one-metre-tall hominin was discovered in 1974 near a village called Hadar in Ethiopia. She's from the species Australopithecus, a relative of humans. She's helped scientists figure out how our lineage came to walk upright and raised questions about whether our ancestors spent time in the branches of trees. Now, a team led by John Kappelman has been looking at the bones again using modern scanning techniques to see what more insights they could glean about Lucy's life. But what more could there be to discover about a fossil that's been meticulously studied for over 40 years?
2: Our main interest in this uh, was really trying to do things that had not been done before. So for example, when Lucy was discovered, CT scanning, CAT scanning, had only just been invented. So, when Lucy came stateside uh, for an exhibit that was hosted by the Ethiopian government, uh, we thought it was a great opportunity then to do the CT scanning that had never been done on her before so that we could uh, investigate some new questions about her bones.
1: What were the questions you were expecting to answer, and what what did you actually answer?
2: By doing studies of the internal architecture of Lucy's skeleton, we thought we could get a pretty good idea, at least a better idea than what we'd had before, of how she actually used her body uh, during her lifetime. And it was in the course of those investigations that we started looking in more detail, and had to, really, at the way the bones were in in looking at those fractures, they seem to us to be formed in a different kind of a way that we found close matches between a subset of the fractures uh, and what we see in clinical cases. We don't think these occur by just fossilization process. We think these happen during life.
1: So what exactly do you think might have happened then?
2: So when we had identified these particular fractures, I went in to see Uh, One of the local orthopedic surgeons here in Austin, Stephen Pierce, and I took the uh, proximal humerus. So this is the right shoulder uh, of the upper arm bone. In to show him, Uh, he knew it was some old bone. I didn't tell him anything else about who it was, what it was, and and I just said, "What is this?" And he said, "Oh, that's a four-part proximal humerus fracture. I see these all the time. These are very close match to injuries suffered when a person suffers a fall." from considerable height
1: what does that tell us about how lucy died and how she lived
2: bones can break for lots of different kinds of reasons and by lots of different sorts of mechanisms but the most interesting fracture i think for us uh, are the uh, fractures at her shoulders that these are fractures uh, seen in modern patients today when someone falls and they reach their arms out, and it impacts uh, the components of the shoulder against one another. The close match between the anatomy of that break in modern patients and Lucy is just remarkable. We've all fallen. We've all put our arms out instinctively to break our fall. Uh, Luckily for most of us, it hasn't killed us. And what that suggests, which really brings us into sharp focus, I think, is that we think that Lucy was conscious uh, when she hit.
1: What does that suggest to you about where she was falling from and why? what was she doing there in the first place?
2: The area that she was found at Hadar uh, is out on the floodplain. So we're not talking high mountains with cliffs or anything. And what we know is that there were trees at Hadar. One of the problems, if you think about just day-to-day life in these uh, settings, uh, is you know trying to stay away from carnivores. And small individuals like Lucy may have found security in the trees at night in the same way that chimpanzees do.
1: So poor Lucy, she was probably trying to sleep or escape predators in a tree and then she fell out. Does imagining Lucy's demise change how you engage with her?
2: You know, it really has and in a, in a very uh, unusual and unanticipated way. So when I think about these injuries, that gives us an idea that she was conscious when we hit. So for one brief second, we're able to transport ourselves across time and space back across 3.2 million years, literally put ourselves in Lucy's place and be able to experience what she was experiencing as she reached out her arms in an attempt to break this fall. When I had a better idea about how she died, those bones became an individual to me. And I just had this feeling of empathy for her uh, in a way that I've never felt that empathy for any of the other fossils that I've worked with. By identifying with her death, she became alive for me in a way that she hadn't before.
1: That was John Kappelman, who's at the University of Texas in the US. If you want to take a peek at Lucy's bones for yourself and see if you agree with John's hypothesis, you can download the scans for free. And you can even 3D print your own Lucy. Our very own Ewan Calloway gave it to go and you can watch his glee at the results over at youtube.com forward slash nature video channel.
0: Next up, it's the research
4: highlights read by Sharmini Bundell. If being rare makes something more valuable, then the mineral tysterite should be priceless. It's just been found in rocks from Earth for the first time. Previously, geologists only knew of it from a meteorite found in Mexico. But a mining company looking for diamonds and sapphires in Israel came across tysterite deposits in volcanic rocks. Geologists think that it only forms in very hydrogen-rich areas, so they suspect that hydrogen or methane must be making its way up from the deep mantle, providing a place where the mineral can form. The journal Geology has the results. The brain has its own thermostat. And now, researchers have found the heat-sensitive protein that helps it do the job. Scientists know that an area called the hypothalamus somehow controls temperature. But now, they found the sensor that's key to its operations. When mice lacking the protein were given a fever, their body temperature stayed higher than normal mice. On the other hand, turning on neurons that had the protein in them brought body temperature down. Researchers could tweak this protein to explore how changing core body temperature affects physiology. The findings are reported in Science.
0: In April 1992, two neuroscientists published an article in Science about the cause of Alzheimer's disease. They suggested that clumps of a protein called amyloid beta can kill neurons and cause the dementia associated with the disease. In the decades since, thousands of experiments have been done to try and prove that amyloid beta is causing Alzheimer's, and plenty of drugs that target the amyloid protein have been trialled. The trouble is, the amyloid hypothesis is still a hypothesis. Many argue that the clinching evidence of a causal link is missing. They point to the fact that many amyloid-targeting drugs have failed to make much of a difference to the condition. Against this backdrop, the pharmaceutical company Biogen this week publishes some promising-looking results in Nature. They've conducted a trial in over 150 patients of a drug they've been developing and testing for the last decade. It's called aducanumab, and it's an antibody that seems to bind to the amyloid clumps, disable them, and allow them to be broken down and flushed out of the brain. Previous efforts haven't been able to reduce plaques to the same degree. Biogen's chief medical officer, Al Sandrock explains more.
3: The drug that we're working on, called aducanumab, targets the amyloid protein, particularly the form of the protein that we think is more toxic, which is the protein in the plaques, the so-called amyloid plaques in the brain that you can see, um, which we think are responsible for the toxicity.
0: And in binding to them, it somehow sort of deactivates them more?
3: Yes, well, actually in binding to these plaques, we find that it probably removes it, it almost certainly removes the uh, the amyloid from the brain.
0: So you you've been trialing this antibody called Aducanumab and you've showed here that not only was it safe and pretty well tolerated, but it was able to actually reduce some of these plaques.
3: Yeah, the main finding in the paper is that we reduce the amyloid plaques in the brain of humans with Alzheimer's disease. To a very significant degree, uh, so that in the highest dose group, we remove probably the majority of the amyloid that's in the brain.
0: And I suppose the key question then is: Well, it's all very well that the plaques are going away, but what about the clinical effects? I mean, do you have any hints that it might help the cognitive symptoms?
3: Yes, we do have some hints in this trial. We we looked at two different uh, measures of cognition, and. The drugs seem to have a beneficial effect. Now, that will have to be confirmed with larger studies, and that's what we're doing right now. We're enrolling patients into two large phase three studies. If those phase three studies confirm what we think we see with this study, then I think finally we will have treatments for patients that can modify the course of the disease. And then, second, I think it would actually go a long way toward confirming. Uh, the amyloid hypothesis, which we've had for several decades now.
0: So how does it feel then after 10 years of work with this drug, showing some promising effects on the cognitive symptoms of the disorder? I mean, what's that like for you guys as a team to be working on something like this? Uh,
3: We were very, very excited when we first saw the results. Uh, We were excited when we saw the results in the animals because uh, we knew we had a drug that would target the amyloid. We believe the amyloid hypothesis needed to be either confirmed or rejected. We happen to believe it's correct, but, of course, we, as scientists, we, we have to prove it. We have to be skeptical of the hypothesis until we prove it in some ways. But even more than that, to show that it actually lowered the amyloid plaque burden in humans was a very important. And, if, and, then, uh, and then the most important thing of all is that if this drug works, will have a treatment for patients suffering from this devastating disease.
0: And how many then stand to benefit from a drug like this? How many people are living with Alzheimer's?
3: The numbers are in the tens of millions of people currently affected with Alzheimer's disease. It's a very common disease, as you know, and it's increasing um, in prevalence uh, with the aging population. So it's a public health problem, and we would love to be able to find a solution for it.
0: But how far away, I mean, in the scheme of things, it takes a while, doesn't it, to develop any drug?
3: Yeah, it takes uh, too long, actually. Um, But, um, well, we're in the last stages now. We're in phase three. We're carefully selecting the patients, uh, making sure that they're in the early stages of the disease, that they actually have amyloid in the brain. And that's taking us a little bit of time. But hopefully in a few years, we'll have the results of the phase three trials and we'll know whether or not the amyloid hypothesis is correct.
0: So let's imagine that an antibody drug makes its way to the clinic. Before you've given the drug, you might have a brain scan to see if there's any amyloid there, and then have your genome sequenced to assess your genetic risk.
3: Or it might go the opposite. It might be that everybody gets genotyped after a certain age, and if you have that, that a certain genetic makeup, your risk of Alzheimer's disease may be higher, then those people might get scanned or, or look, for, look for amyloid in some other way using a biomarker. And then if you have the amyloid, uh, I see people starting treatment very, very early. Uh, and some people are now even talking about treating even before symptoms.
0: Al Sandrock from pharmaceutical company Biogen in Cambridge, Massachusetts. And Al imagines that if the drug makes it to the clinic, patients would receive a monthly injection as they did in the trial and when the amyloid plaques are gone, a reduced dose to keep them at bay. The results of the trial are at nature.com slash nature as is a News and Views. We'll be
1: back to normal with a full-length show next week. In the meantime, check out all the latest news and research over at nature.com forward slash news and for full access to the research papers mentioned in the show, you can subscribe to the journal. Think of it as a back-to-school present
0: to yourself. Meanwhile, we're off to buy some new notebooks, shine our shoes and sharpen our pencils. I'm Kerry Smith. And I'm Adam Levy.